Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. So today's guest is Lena Voiter, who is a PhD student at the uh, University of Amsterdam and a research scientist at uh, Yandex Research. Welcome to the podcast, Lena. Uh, hi, thank you for inviting me. I'm really glad to be here. So the topic we're discussing today is analyzing the information flow in transformers, mostly in the context of training machine translation models. Particularly, we're going to be talking about two papers, both co-authored by Lena and others. The first one is called Analyzing Multi-Head Self-Attention specialized heads to the heavy lifting and uh, the rest can be pruned from ACL this year. And the second is the bottom-up evolution of uh, representations in transformers, a study with machine translation and language modeling objectives published at EMNLP this year. So the first one was about studying the relative importance of uh, attention heads in self-attention. So Lena, can you tell us a bit about what was studied here? Uh, yeah, so um, I would try to understand the functions of uh, attention heads and multi-head attention because, you know, it's a very nice inductive bias which was introduced in transformer. And we do know that uh, it leads uh, to improvements in performance as measured with, for example, blue score for machine translation and other metrics. But it's not clear what exactly is going on with uh, these uh, different heads. Do they have some functions? Are they all equally important? And so on and so forth. So this is basically what we are trying to understand. So when you say head importance, what exactly do you mean by it? How do you measure the importance of a given head? That's a good question. We can look at it from different perspective and in paper we do, but the most uh, for a simple way to do it is to say that important heads are those which contribute more to generated translations, right? If right. we had some some way of measuring how much each head contributes to translations, we would say, okay, this uh, heads contribute more, that's why they're important. Finding what contributes to a network prediction is not yet natural in NLP, but in computer vision, there's a whole line of works are developing so-called attribution methods. These are the methods which try to measure a contribution of pixels in an input image to a prediction of a classifier. Probably you saw uh, such pictures, for example, a picture of cat classifier, it says, for example, that probably of a cat being on the picture is like 0.7. Uh, and there's uh, attribution methods find this heat map which show which pixels contributed to this prediction. And usually these heat maps are quite interpretable. So what we do is we adapt one of these attribution methods from computer vision uh, to measure contribution of neurons in transformer but two key differences in how we use it compared to attribution methods in computer vision. So first, uh, we did not propagate to input and stop early at some layer. In this way, we evaluate contribution of neurons in some layer and not input elements. Second, we evaluate contribution on average over a data set, not for a single prediction, because we want to find uh, which heads are important on average and not for predicting some particular token in a sense. Right. Uh, so we adapt uh, one of our attribution methods. It's called layer-wise relevance propagation. And basically what it does, it um, propagates the prediction recursively from output layer to input layer. And to evaluate contribution of heads, we uh, evaluate contribution of peaks of neurons in multi-head attention uh, to topologies predicted by model. Uh, we do this for each generation step for development set and take an average. And then we say that importance of head or contribution of head is some of contribution of its neurons. I see. So did you see any interesting trends in the importance of heads and how they behave? 
Yes, first, what was interesting, we saw that uh, in each layer, there are only a couple of heads which are much more important than all the others. It means that uh, heads in multi-head attention are not equally important for translation, and they contribute to different extent. And this is uh, really interesting because previous works looking at um, multi-head attention in this former, they used either average overhead weights or maximum. Uh, therefore, it's assuming that heads are equally important, but it turns out they are not. Right, I see. There was also some notion of head confidence I saw in the paper. Can you talk about that a bit? Uh, yeah, relevance is uh, nice in a way, but uh, it's really hard to like uh, feel what is what this about. So we also looked at confidence of heads, which is a more intuitive characteristic. So we evaluate confidence by picking maximum attention weight uh, for each token and then taking an average. Intuitively, confident heads are the ones which tend to put all their attention mass to a single token. And uh, one might assume that these heads are important because if they're confident, probably they know what they're doing, right? Right. And uh, we look at confidence and relevance, and we see that uh, these two characteristics agree to some extent. So, so in most of the layers, the most relevant heads are the most confident. Was there anything interesting there to note uh, about the cases where they didn't, didn't agree with each other? Uh, yes, it's a really good question. On all layers except the first, uh, the most relevant heads are the most confident ones. But on the first layer, uh, we don't actually see highly confident heads. But for all models we looked at, there was one head which was much more important than other heads. And uh, when we looked at what this head doing, uh, we saw that uh, it's an attention head which points to the, the least frequent tokens in the sentence, which is not really not something you would expect to see, right? And right. it was uh, the same observation across different models. So we trained uh, machine translation models on WMT dataset for English, Russian, English, German, and English range. And for English, Russian, we also had uh, additional experiments with open subtitle dataset. And for all models, the most important head on the first layer, which uh, was this attention to rare tokens. Head. Okay. You mean the the one that that gets the most attribution? Yes. And when you say rare words, is it just within the sentence or? So we have a sentence. Uh, we have, for example, least frequent tokens, and uh, almost all of the tokens in a sentence point to this least frequent token. Any insights why this would be the case? Yes, actually, um, I would come back to that uh, when we discuss in the second paper. Because here, at, at the moment of ACL paper, it wasn't clear, and we got uh, a lot of linguists very excited about it. We tried to understand, like, maybe it has something to do with story or something else, but in our UNLP paper, we actually found out that it's uh, some kind of uh, modular revision. Like really, really fancy kind of modular revision, but uh, yes. Okay, so we'll, we'll get to it later. Okay, so you talked about the notions of importance and confidence and how uh, they sometimes agree with each other. Given given that you've defined uh, these notions, what did you do about it? What, what was the next obvious step in the paper? So we saw that uh, only a few heads are more important than all the others. And the initial question is, of course, what are these heads doing? Then we looked at the attention matrices, paying particular attention to these important heads and uh, tried to categorize roles of these uh, heads. And we find uh, three roles uh, heads might be playing. It's uh, positional heads, syntactic heads, and attention to rare tokens. This is the most important head on the first layer. Given that you uh, observed that some, some of these perform specific functions, you then went ahead and looked at trunings, the heads which, which seemed not so important. Can you uh, tell us a bit about that? 
Yeah, so when we saw that uh, this important heads are specialized, uh, we were worried that um, maybe model does not need, need all the rest, right? So right. we have important heads and they perform some functions and uh, uh, it's not clear whether uh, are they important, but it's hard to define their roles or they're just redundant. And we just a method for pruning heads. So basically what we want is to let the model decide which heads it doesn't need. So just to clarify, you, you mentioned the positional heads and syntactic heads and yeah. not necessarily clear to the audience what this means. Could you clarify this a little? Yeah, uh, of course. Um, so positional heads are, are the ones which uh, point to a neighboring tokens. For example, there's a head which always point to the previous token, heads which always point to the next token. And uh, these heads are uh, highly confident. This is the more confident heads in the model. So basically they put all the attention mass to, for example, previous or next token. And syntactic heads are the heads which uh, learned to track uh, major syntactic relations in a sentence, such as uh, subject verb over object in, in both directions. So uh, in the latter case, it would be focusing most of the attention on two items. Is that right? So for, for each dependency relation, we looked uh, whether a head uh, puts uh, maximum attention weights to a token with which it's uh, in one of the dependency relations. So for each, for each dependency relation, we found heads which uh, might be tracking this relation. And these observations, that you're seeing positional heads and syntactic heads, Andre words, these were pervasive across the tasks used for training yeah, for the all, for all four translation tasks we considered. Yeah, we have this uh, pictures in a paper when you can actually see that here in all models. So the most important and highly confident heads are positional. Each model has several syntactic heads for dependencies such as subject or verb and verb object. And for each of the model, the most important head on the first layer is, is attention to their tokens. Thank you. Okay, coming back to pruning, can you describe to us about uh, uh, how you uh, did this achieve this pruning? Yeah, so um, what we want it is uh, to switch off less important heads and to let the model decide uh, which head it would be. And so in the original model, outputs of each head and modified attention are concatenated and then used later in the model. Now we modify this architecture by multiplying output of each head by a scalar gate. And these gates are independent on the input, it just color gates or parameters specific to heads. So ideally, we'd like to use L0 regularization on this uh, scalar gates because L0 norm equals number of non zero components and which would push the model to switch off uh, less important heads. But since it's not differentiable, we couldn't uh, incorporate it directly in our regularization as a regularization term. We had to use stochastic relaxation. It means that uh, we say, okay, now each gate is a scalar value drawn independently for each head from a head specific distribution. And uh, instead of uh, minimizing a zero norm, we'll minimize probability of this uh, gates being open. Because the distribution for each head in a way that this probability of heads being open is uh, differentiable with respect to the parameters. So it's really easy to minimize it uh, using gradient descent and we put directly this term in our loss function. So intuitively, why do we want to minimize the probability that it's open? So if we don't do this, uh, a model doesn't have to prune some heads, right? Really, it wants to do nothing. If we don't say it uh, explicitly, a model, we want to remove some heads 
from you, it doesn't have to do it. How do you help the model learn which ones are like are more important? How do you actually formalize or like? Uh... So uh, the new training objective is uh, cross-entropy loss, which is uh, training objective of the standard model, and this regularization term. And we can use different weights for regularizations. Like we can push more or less to switch this important heads. So on the one hand, model still learns to perform translation task, and on the other hand, it tries to switch off some heads. So in this way, it turns off the heads which are less important for translation. Oh, I see. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. And what were the empirical results uh, that you've noticed? Uh, so there are two sides of the story. One is about the blue score, which I have to say, but I'm not a big fan of the blue score. So <laughs> it turned out that uh, yeah, it turned out that we can remove the vast majority of heads with no loss and translation quality, or with no loss and translation quality. So when pruning encoder heads, we saw that, uh, for example, a model trained on WMT data point distortion, a model with only uh, 10 heads in encoder out of 48 loses only 0.15 blue, which is not really like right. Uh, and for example, another model trained on open subtitle data set, it has only four heads in encoder out of 48, and it loses only the coin 25 blue, which is uh, really, really small drop in performance. And when mm -hmm. we run all heads in the model, for example, uh, we can see that we can prove like half of the heads with no loss at all in quality. Uh, for example, 75% of all heads losing like 0.5 blue. Yeah, but what I like a lot more than, uh, about our printed method uh, than the blue score, my colleagues from Yandex Translate would disagree uh, about blue score, but uh, what I like a lot more uh, is that uh, now we can look at the importance of head functions from different perspectives, right? So now we say the heads which are alive are important because the model chose to keep them. And um, we will look now at models with different sparsity rates and we'll look at the functions of these alive heads. Horizon, uh, the results agree with radiance propagation. So we have like two completely different uh, ways of looking at it. So first we can, we can say, we can evaluate an attribution uh, and uh, the second one is completely different like by proving. Turns out the results are the same. So what we see is that uh, specialized heads are last to be pruned. Yeah, so what functions did you notice that heads that actually survived the pruning process uh, were performing? Uh, so we can prune like two-thirds of all heads uh, with all uh, specialized functions being alive. So basically all functions are alive for until we have like seven heads. And uh, then if you push forward, uh, heads start tracking several functions, for example, uh, several syntactic functions. And if only a few heads are alive, for example, only two heads, uh, heads start taking uh, three functions, for example, positional and syntactic. That's really interesting. Uh, are there any other interesting uh, patterns you noticed from the results? Uh, yeah, so uh, we also looked uh, at the importance of different types of attention in the model. So mm -hmm. because transformer has uh, self-attention in the encoder, self-attention in the decoder, and decoder-encoder attention, right? right. And um, when pruning all attention types in the model, we can look at uh, which attention types uh, the model wants to pull more. And uh, to say, for example, that uh, encoders of attention heads are the least important because uh, these are the first heads in model prunes. Uh, the most important heads are uh, decoder-encoder attention. 
which is obvious, of course, because without decoding code attention, no translation can happen. And uh, importance of decoders of attention, which is, it can be thought of like language modeling on the target side, right? Uh, it depends on the domain. For example, for WMG data set with long sentences and uh, which are quite complicated, they are almost as important as uh, decoding code attention. Uh, but for open subtitles with short sentences, uh, they're almost the same importance as encoders of attention heads, which are not really important. I see. Okay. So going forward, based on these results, what do you think we can change about the way we build these models? Is there anything else you think we should do differently? I see several possible directions of research. First, uh, I, I haven't mentioned it before, but uh, we also looked at uh, whether we can train from scratch model uh, with the same configuration of heads as the pruned ones. And we found that, no, we cannot. It agrees with uh, the results from model compression, which also say that, uh, yes, we can, it's better prune large model than train from scratch than dense model of the same size. And there can be some connections to lottery ticket hypothesis, so we can look further into that. And also, it's uh, not clear uh, why a model with single head attention cannot uh, learn these functions, because in terms of quality, uh, when you train with multiple heads, it's uh, better. Another direction I see can be, for example, considering that we know that these functions are important, uh, can we maybe, I don't know, do some kind of uh, transplantation of heads from different models? Let's, so we have some functions one model, and uh, if we take BERT, for example, the functions would be different. And, or in training, for example, we see that uh, important heads already perform some functions. We can reinitialize this and important heads, kind of like in um, pruning, they also do this. So we have uh, an important weight, they're reinitialized and retrained from scratch, so maybe we can find more functions. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And then moving on to the second paper, uh, which is about how the token representations uh, in Transformers evolve based on pre-training objectives. Can you briefly describe to us what the objective of this study was and uh, how, you, how you went about investigating it? Uh, yeah, so transfer learning is really popular now, right? And there are different kind of huge models with different objectives. And it's not clear, uh, for example, we know that BERT on some tasks performs better than, say, L1. Right, but we don't know is uh, whether it's uh, due to training objective or architecture or so. Why is that? Also, we have uh, a lot of results, uh, a lot of puzzling results from probing tasks, which they weren't explained. Results of the kind, for example, if we take uh, untrained LSTMs and use probing task to predict, for example, identities of neighboring tokens, token identity, uh, untrained LSTMs perform better than trained ones. It's not, not clear why that happens. For example, probing for uh, syntactic structure, it was it has been shown that uh, as you go from layer to layer, performance, for example, uh, representations from a T model increases up to the highest layer, but for language model, it's so it goes up to, to, to some layer and then goes down. And it's not clear why this happens. So there's clearly different uh, uh, patterns, the different kind of behavior, but it's not clear why it's that. So in our work, we tried to give like a general explanation of the process behind such behavior. So we wanted to fix everything which is possible. For example, we fix architecture, we fix training data, and we're on the training objective. And instead of doing just problem task and measuring the kinds of information model learn, I would try to first uh, give some general explanation of the process 
behind such behavior and define how training objectives influence this information flow. So this is basically the main point of our work. So uh, we looked at uh, three tasks. Uh, first one is, again, machine translation. Second is uh, standard left-right language model, or like GPT-style retraining. And uh, the third one, math language model, which is most of the training objective of BERT. Like, what, what we tried to do, so we want to give some general explanation of what's going on. And our point of view in this work is information bottleneck. Uh, so it's a method from 1990s, which tried to find a compressed representation of input uh, which contains as much as possible information about output. And it operated with mutual information. It minimized mutual information with input while maximizing mutual information with output. In terms of deep learning, uh, in 2015, uh, Tish Benzislavsky in their work showed that computation in uh, deep neural networks can be regarded as uh, evolution towards the theoretical optimum of the information bottleneck objective. So imagine a network has information about input and it moves uh, across layers. And while it moves uh, this information about input across layers, it discards information which is not relevant to output. Right. So if you think about it, it's quite obvious, right? So in a way, uh, output defines partition of input on relevant and irrelevant information, and therefore defines information flow. And since outputs are different uh, for each of our task, uh, tasks, we expect to see different patterns in flow. And the first thing we do is we illustrate processes of information gain and loss and representations like to uh, to illustrate this information bottleneck perspective. So how did you measure information gain here? Uh, so let me first explain what is information gain, because uh, instead of information bottleneck setting, usually they consider entire layers, and information can only get lost as you go from layer to layer. Right. Uh, but uh, here, uh, as we consider um, representations of individual tokens, some information can be gained from representations of other tokens while they interact. Mm -hmm. And so uh, first we measure uh, mutual information between representations and uh, input token identity to track what, what's going on. And what we see is that for machine translation task, information about input is getting lost a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is somewhat expected. For language model, it's uh, it gets lost a lot more, uh, mm -hmm. which is again expected because it tries to predict next token and the uh, input token identity may be not so important on, on higher layers. And uh, for MLM, the behavior is really surprising. So first, similar to other tasks, information about input get lost, uh, but then uh, on the upper layers, it gets recovered. And like it happens like in two stages, which we call from the uh, context and coding and production stages. You, you mentioned the difference between MLM and language Do you have any intuitions uh, for why the, there was a difference between the two? Yeah, of course. So for language model uh, output, for standard language model, output is next token. And uh, so this output defines which information the model doesn't need. So it basically for predicting the next token, token identity of the current token is not so important. It tries to build some some kind of generalized representation and then predict the uh, next token. But a math language model is trained to predict current token identity. Right. And when training, uh, it saw most of the time mask token or random tokens. So it trained to first like accumulate information about context and then reconstruct 
token identity. Also, uh, then uh, maybe we'll better discuss after we uh, talk about uh, the second experiment with mutual information, uh, where we looked uh, not only on information with input, but uh, information with input and output. And uh, in these experiments for mask language model, we take representations uh, like in, in training time, which were masked or replaced to get uh, cases where input and output are different. And uh, what we see is actually that uh, there are two processes going on, losing information about input while on the same time accumulating information about output. And since output are different, so for left-right in which model, it means that it loses information about current token and past and tries to accumulate like build information about future. And mask language model loses information about current token, try and accumulate this contextual information. And then it has to reconstruct token identity. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So one thing that I uh, that's not clear to me now is when you compute the mutual information to the input and output, you compute it only with respect to the corresponding position in the sentence? Yes, uh, so we consider representations of individual tokens, so for, we take like stack of representations for each particular token. So the, I think the one problem with this is that by design we want uh, our transformers are designed so that you can take the information from surrounding tokens while you're computing the next the representation on the next layer, right? So, just just because the lower the lower layer doesn't have a good representation or like sufficient information about the corresponding input doesn't mean this input was lost. It may be stored in surrounding. Uh, yes, 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 exactly, exactly. It's a really, really good comment. So, uh, in our in our case, situation is uh, way more complex than instead of information about an exciting because in our case, each representation uh, plays kind of two roles. So, it builds a representation which is necessary to predict uh, output label, which is different for, for each task. And uh, on the other hand, it has to accumulate some information which is useful for building representations of other tokens in the sentence. Right. So yes, the fact that in this current so in representations of uh, current token uh, lost some information about current token identity does it mean that it's not somewhere uh, in the sentence? And that's basically what we see in mask language model, right? So it loses information uh, about current token identity, but then it managed to recreate it on the upper layers because it accumulated information from from other tokens in the sentence. About your second study, you looked at measuring how uh, influence flows across layers and you use CCA to measure that. Can you say something about that? Tokens in a sentence interact with each other at each layer, right? Uh, and in these interactions, um, they can be influencing others, like giving some kind of information, and they can receive information and uh, change uh, themselves. They're, we want to like a kind of measure uh, token influence and token change. And for this, we use uh, we do this by comparing uh, like different views on the same data. So what we do is we take a lot of data, uh, we feed it to a network, gather representations from some layer, and say that altogether these representations form a view of a layer on this data. And uh, we gather different views and use this canonical correlation analysis to evaluate uh, how different are these views on the data. For example, different views can be layers in different networks, and uh, in this way we evaluate distance between different tasks. Or we can say that different views are consecutive layers within the same network, and uh, in this way we evaluate how much change is going on Layer. I see. Okay. And uh, what did you observe in your analysis? We had a lot of experiments. So first one, we compared different tasks. 
where we found that uh, machine translation is closer to mask language model than each of them to language model, standard language model, which is, if you don't think of it, uh, it's kind of surprising because probably you would expect uh, to see that language models are closer to each other, right? right. Um, but uh, when you think about it, uh, there are actually uh, two reasons for why it uh, can be happening. Uh, first is that um, standard language model has access only to previous tokens in a sentence, while machine translation and mass language model have access to all tokens in a sentence. And uh, second, uh, language model, uh, it focuses on some other token, in our case, next token, right? It tries to construct representations of the next token in a sentence. Uh, but uh, machine translation and mass language model uh, focus on the current token. Yeah, then we'll look at uh, how much processing is uh, going on in each layer different networks and we find that for machine translation uh, as we go from layer to layer less and less uh, processing is going on so yes yeah, so machine translation is kind of uh, refining its representations but it's not the case for um, language mo models and we don't see this decreasing amount of change and uh, we also can explain this for example for uh, language model, when we measured visual information, we saw that uh, it gradually forgets the past and tries to form uh, output label. And uh, this apparently requires uh, a lot of change going on in each layer, and even in the higher layers. And for mass language model, we again see these two stages. So first, uh, the amount of change go goes down. It's when contextual information is being gathered, like kind of refining. And then at their um, token construction stage, a lot of processing is going on, like a lot of change here on the higher layers. And uh, right. the last experiment tried to distinguish between different uh, types of tokens. We looked at uh, tokens uh, depending on their frequency and uh, evaluate uh, change and influence of such tokens. And so by, by token change, we mean uh, how much it consumes information, how much it changes uh, itself. And uh, by token influence, we mean how much uh, would representations of other tokens change if this particular token is excluded uh, on the current layer. And uh, what we see is that uh, in general, frequent tokens change a lot, but influence less. Mm -hmm. And rare tokens change less and influence a lot. This is kind of intuitive, right? right? If you're a frequent token, uh, you don't have much information in yourself, and you try to consume all the information and uh, then share it uh, with others. But if you're a rare token, you definitely have something to say, and uh, you don't change mm -hmm. much. You just like uh, spread this information, and uh, so uh, and frequent tokens can be sort of uh, some kind of hubs for uh, passing information through. So they help uh, other tokens start communicate with each other. I guess it's interesting that the end task here in your case is machine translation, which is why it's very important to get all the content in, in the source to the target. It would be interesting to see how these strengths vary across different tasks instead of machine translation. But but yeah, I think I think what you described is quite interesting. Yeah, and also for mask language model, we see little stages for looking at changes. Uh, so if for, for MT and language model, the amount of change like uh, ordered by the frequency, but for mask language model, it's like a kind of a lot of changes going on on this uh, token construction stage. Uh, and uh, I suggest you look at uh, the paper. So yeah, so again, we see the two stages for MLM. And there's also a nice connection to our first paper. So right. here for uh, machine translation, we see extreme influence of rare tokens on the first layer. It's like a huge hmm. influence of rare tokens in the first layer. Uh, but we don't see this, for example, for mass language model. Yes, rare right. tokens influence more, but uh, not, not much more than uh, other tokens. And uh, we had an additional experiment 
trying to train machine information and with uh, masking some tokens at training time. Uh, and we observed that if a model trained with masking out some tokens, influence of rare tokens is much less. It means mm. that uh, it's not this information is not really important, but it's a kind of modular refitting. And from the first paper, we know that form, so how this refitting uh, takes place in the model is by having this attention heads, which is specialized to, to attend to rare tokens. So right. here was the like, general process, like a huge influence of rare tokens. And from the first paper, we know like the exact form, how it's implemented in the model, because it has mm. a possibility like to, uh, to have a, sp- a specific head for this. That's uh, quite interesting. In your paper, you also uh, looked at uh, analyzing the representations by looking at neighbors and how the representations of uh, given tokens inform their neighbors' representations as well. Can you describe uh, to us what your observations were from that experiment? Yeah, so in the last part, we tried to look at which properties of representations most defining for these representations in space. For example, are they ordered by token identity or are they ordered by position in a sentence or are they uh, ordered somehow according to syntactic role in a sentence? What we did is we took a lot of representations of different tokens and uh, looked at the closest neighbors in the representation space and evaluated a proportion of these closest neighbors which have, for example, the same token identity or the same position or the same CCG tag or the same like immediate left neighbor or immediate left right, right neighbor. And um, the purpose of this was, again, to illustrate this uh, general story. So in general, our general story is that uh, output defines the information flow in the model. For example, language model forgets uh, past when form and future. This is, again, what we see in this experiment. So we're using, uh, again, we're using different machinery, but we observe the same kind of process. For example, uh, when looking at token identity, we see that language model forgets a lot for current token identity. And uh, about left context, it accumulates information about left context and then gradually forgets it. But at the same time, its performance on predicting uh, right token is, is improves or uh, right part of the CCG text. So when looking at CCG text, we divide them on left right left part which correspond to past information and right part which correspond to information about future. So and again, what we see is that uh, accumulates contextual information about past, then forgets it, and at the same time it uh, tries to form this uh, information about future. For, for mass language models, again, uh, happens in two stages. On the context uh, encoding stage, we see that uh, all this uh, contextual information has been accumulated, but on the token construction stage, it all goes, goes down. After our submission, we found like uh, a lot of papers about BERT and analyzing using probing tasks and uh, structured probing, different different kinds of probing, and uh, they actually observe the same behavior. So, for example, uh, using uh, probing tasks, uh, this was ASOP, uh, BERT redescribes classical NLP pipeline. They um, had different problem tasks and when they saw that the performance goes up to some layer and this is what we call the context encoding stage and then goes down at context and using different kind of structural problem from Hewitt and Money and Knuckle 2019 they also observe the same behavior and uh, if we are trying to use BERT for some downstream task, for example, there is a paper which is now submitted to SLR 2020. It tries to use BERT uh, to build 
a metric for the semantic similarity between sentences for uh, for evaluation of generation tasks instead of blue score and uh, such kind of things. And when looking at different layers, they also found that uh, performance of this metric uh, goes up uh, as you go from layer to layer, and then it goes down again. So it's the same uh, pattern on and on using different tasks, uh, different machinery, different kinds of program downstream application, but the general pattern is always the same. That's quite interesting. So do you think there are any interesting implications of these results that would affect the future work in this direction? Yes. Yeah, so first of all, if you understand how your objective defines the formation flow in the model, and maybe you could command an objective for which is better, right? This uh, obvious uh, application. Um, next, again, if you understand uh, how this general process which is going on, uh, when you look at proven results or other papers, or you try to use a model for some downstream task, you understand, for example, that you may need different layers for different kinds of applications, right? Most informative layers can be not at the top ones, but somewhere in the middle. And, and uh, you understand that of MT task, it's refining, so the performance is like monotonic, but, but for language model, it's not monotonic, right? It's again up and down. And also, it would be very fun to connect this uh, two stories. For example, each model consists of uh, like a model architecture and a training procedure. So here we explained how training procedure defines information flow, and we also have some kind of understanding which architectures, uh, how, how different architectures encode information, and if you put this all together, we have general process of information flow and we can, for example, understand which form of this information flow will take place in different models. For example, if it's right. forming, it can take like different attachment heads or LSTMs or we saw that uh, behavior is different. For example, it can be neurons tracking some, some tokens or uh, some other kind of stuff. Thanks a lot for talking about these two papers with us, uh, Lena. Is there uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about these papers that we missed? Yeah, I'd just like to mention that both this work were done with my research parents in Wintertop and Rika Sendrich and the first paper um, about heads was in collaboration with uh, David Talbot who is uh, head of Yandex Translate he was really excited about syntactic structure and one of my interns would are my safe. Great, thanks a lot for joining us uh, for this episode Lena. Thank you for the invitation, it's been really great